Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this week's podcast. This week, we get to interview Jonathan Bearclaw Hart. I only call him Bearclaw because that's how he was introduced to me in Portland Opera, and I think that's how most people know him. But to be official, Jonathan Bearclaw Hart, he is the technical director at Portland Opera, and I had the honor and privilege of working with him a few months ago on Faust, which I know we've talked about a lot, but it's like one of my favorite shows that I've done so far. So we asked Bearclaw to come join us on our podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I think we've been trying to get but you since friend. Faust. Well, I've been trying to get Twin to get you since Faust. Stacey <laughs> yeah. was like, please, let's get him on the podcast. Uh, so our first question always is, how did you get into theater? And because I know Portland Opera is like your first actual opera job as a technical director. How did you get to Portland Opera? And how does that differ from like traditional theater? You can start with one question at a time. Cindy likes to just lay them all out. I do. That's how my I say, there's a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How did you start in theater? How did you become a technical no. director? Sure. Um, that's that's a pretty good way to start. Uh, essentially, so when I was a young kid, like in fifth grade or so, um, we had like a play at my school that I saw, and I was like, I want to do this, and like I sang in chorus even back then. Um, and my brother was in place and I was like, okay, so I like joined the community theater. I was an actor uh, mm-hmm. for all throughout like elementary school. And then through high, all of high school, I acted and was in musicals and plays and various things. Um, but I didn't think that you could make a career out of that. That's <laughs> um, what a lot of people say. <laughs> I mean, I came from a school where it's just like, that wasn't really what you did. Um and so I went to college for business administration. Ah, uh, that's what my minor is. Yeah. And I had my first semester, you know, I was taking business classes, but it was rather fortuitous that I had a work study working in the theater department, building sets. Did your shop. That's exactly what I did too. Me and Bearclaw <laughs> really? are just meant to be together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was totally random. That I got placed there. I mean, I had I had no backstage experience at all, and essentially, yeah. But it was great. I mean, I so so I started building shows that semester, and I was doing lighting, and it was kind of like a small department, uh, especially on the tech side. And so, um, essentially, I was built like one of the main people doing tech at my undergrad at that point. And I was like, you know what? I really want to do this for my life. Like, I hate my business classes so much. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and there's this thing that I'm really passionate about, even more so than acting. I love building these shows and doing the lighting for these shows and doing all this. And so I was like, this is what I want to do. And I had this amazing undergrad professor who was like, this can be a career. <laughs> He's like, and you're really good at it. You should do this. Um. And so I took his advice and I changed my major. And so I went and got my undergrad. When did you do that? Was it like your second year there or? No, that was all within my first year. So by second semester, I changed majors. 
Nice. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I officially had done it by second semester, but I like stopped taking business classes after my first semester of business classes because <laughs> I was really unhappy in them. Yeah. Um, yeah. My accounting was terrible. Like <laughs> suffered through it for two years. Oh, I mean, there I knew people that suffered through it, suffered through it for four years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then find out at the end of their college, oh, I really like this thing. I wish I had learned it. Right. I yeah. just wasted all this money and time now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I feel very grateful for that opportunity um, that kind of just fell into my lap. Um, and so from there, you know, I really didn't know exactly where I was going to focus, uh, and I took that. Um, undergrad experience and I worked a couple summers of summer stock in Vermont, which is where I also did my undergrad. Uh, I did a summer of in Virginia and I did two summer stock summers in South Dakota. And um, some people with professors from the University of South Dakota were there and said, hey, we're looking for grad students. Are you interested? So I went and got my master's in technical direction and lighting design. Wow. And I've been doing it ever since. I moved to South. I moved to Oregon after that, um, and I started at a musical theater company in Portland. Um, worked there for around four years, and I left them for the amazing opportunity of working at Portland Opera. Uh, so I in didn't college, realize, in... what's that? I'm oh, sorry. Nope. Go on. I'll ask my question afterwards. I'll write it down. I was gonna say I didn't realize what kind of transition that was going to be. Yeah, that was going to be my question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, essentially, like, I was like, well, you know, it's I've been doing musicals. How different can opera be from musical theater? Right. They sing. They're on stage. Yeah, it's like the same thing, right? <laughs> well, especially, <laughs> I, I think it's not too different for me as a TD and tech person, because, like, it's still a set and still lights. Like, I don't care if they're singing the whole time or not. It's true. But, I mean, I guess in um, in that sense, yes, it's very similar. The The main <laughs> aspects of it are similar. You know, we still have set and lights and we still go through a tech process. Uh, it's like the scheduling is different. The mm -hmm. priorities are different. Mm -hmm. um, little things. Even, like, the way a stage manager calls a show was is different in my experience from musical theater to opera just the singers are treated in a different way than they are in musical theater that's very true yeah. and maestro is treated in a very different way than absolutely the musical the director is yeah, absolutely and there's more a focus on the appreciation of the music in opera than there is in musical theater. And now, don't get me wrong, I love musical theater. I'm not saying one's better than the other. Um, but it's just different. And so I, did, I didn't expect that, but it's been a wonderful learning experience for me. Some things that we've talked about, because we've had, um, Stacey does mostly musical theaters, and so we had like a music director on to talk about his experience. And then I've had a few uh, like pianists and conductors on from the opera perspective. And so we've, We've talked about that, just like how, you know, maestro, once you get to orchestra rehearsals, like maestro has to say, it doesn't matter if like everything's crashing and burning on stage. If he wants to keep playing the music, he keeps playing the music um, or that maestro gets a bow at the end of end of the show. And in so many musical theater pieces, you like you'd never even see the music con conductor. They can be in a whole separate room. They don't come out and they don't get a bow and they don't pause. And 
just the way they're even listed in the program and on billing is it's so different between the two. And we were actually talking to Sean Bard about how did that happen? Because musicals, in essence, came out of the opera world. So, like, where in our history did it change and that, like, it became so segregated is not really the right word. But, you know, like, the musical conductor was so far removed from what it is in opera. It's true. Although I think even a lot of musicals that have gone to as of late, I mean, they still usually take a bow at the end or, like, wave their baton. Um, but they don't get quite the greeting at the top of show like they do in opera. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is curious to know, like, where that division happened. Not yeah, really probably sure. Americans. <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure how, but something over here. Uh, where did you go to school in, in uh, for undergrad and for grad school? So I did my undergrad uh, at a college called St. Michael's College in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, it's kind of like a small school about four hours away from home. Uh, I grew up right outside of Boston. Uh, and there's a ton of great theater schools there. <laughs> I just didn't really know much about that and what, kind of wanted to get away from the area. And you right. were uh, you were trying to do theater. Yeah. What's that? I said you went to school for business, so I guess you weren't really looking in Boston for a music school or a, a theater school. It's very true. Actually, I was looking. There's a few schools I looked at that were primarily business schools. Uh, like Bentley was one of the schools I was accepted to. Um, and a few other schools where there were just business programs and they did not have a theater department at all. Mm -hmm. Actually, why I chose the school I went to is because they had a theater department. So and you so knew you wanted. Was, it was always in the background. It was in the back of my mind of like, <laughs> I love theater a lot. And the fact that they have a theater program there means that they do shows and maybe that I can keep that in my life somehow. Right. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty smart. smart. What yeah. about uh, grad school? You said you went to South Dakota. Yeah. So that was kind of another opportunity of like when I, so when my undergrad professor actually recommended me to go work at a summer stock theater in South Dakota called the Black Hills Playhouse. And, uh, I know but, some people who've been there. It, do you? Cool. The people that club. I worked with in Southern California, they all grew up in uh, South Dakota, I believe, and uh, spent summers there. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I actually know some folks from Southern California who came out there and worked with me out there. Um, I'll have to Facebook stock and see who's really. Yeah, see if we know some similar people. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I spent a couple summers out there. And in my second summer, actually a different grad program, the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, mm -hmm. uh, they recruited me for their program. And they're like, hey, we really want you in our program. Like, here's all the reasons that we were a great school. Here's all the stuff we'll give you uh, and all this stuff. And it was actually a scenic designer who was the one that was really trying to recruit me. And I was like, oh, maybe I've been considering grad school. It's kind of the next step for me. There were certain mm -hmm. elements of being a technical director that I didn't know that I was like, I really need more experience, more experience in CAD, more experience in welding. Mm -hmm. And I need a program that's really going to, you know, drive those things home for me to kind of build that as well as automation. And Nebraska has a great program for all of that. But the professors at the University of South Dakota. So the South Dakota professors heard that Nebraska recruited me. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're a better program. 
<laughs> nice people fighting over you. I know it's kind of exciting. And they're like, okay, we're a better program. I actually went to Nebraska, but I made this program better than that. I was like, okay. And the person telling me that, his name is Tim Case. And he's a fantastic designer, um, an amazing artist, an amazing person in general. And so I was really excited by the opportunity to actually study under him um, and kind of learn a lot about what he's done and what he's gone. And we've worked together since then. Um, but I decided to take him up on his offer of going to grad school there. And so I spent three years in Vermilion, South Dakota, which is a tiny town that really just has a college and cornfields. <laughs> so much to do on your downtime. Yeah, there really wasn't a lot. They also had like 20 bars in town. So clearly they had their priorities set. <laughs> college well, students, man. But it was it was good. It was the right program for me. Uh, I learned exactly the things I needed to learn, kind of moving forward. I made some great connections that I still have today. So that's awesome. So you mentioned earlier that when you first started, you were kind of interested in like being a technical director and lighting and working in the scene shop. So what kind of led you to the path of technical direction? I mean, I think for most people, it's just kind of natural where you end up. But why not like a somebody who just works as a, a carpenter or somebody who went the lighting path, what kind of like draws you to being a technical director? Sure. Um, well, I also, for the record, I do some lighting design on the side. Right. I forgot about that. No, Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't do a lot of it. I do it like occasionally mm -hmm. when my schedule allows because there's thing about the creative side that, that turns on my brain. Yeah. But, the part of my brain that I have even more of is I'm a very logical person. Uh, my brain kind of like, I like breaking down puzzles and like figuring them out. And like the idea of looking at like the image of a set design, like a, the pretty picture and figuring out how that can be constructed into a, a set. <laughs> a safe set like, for actors to walk on. What's that? It's a safe set that actors walk on. <laughs> even yeah, more complicated exactly. than just built. <laughs> yeah. And knowing how to do that and figuring out how to create this, you know, create this thing and do woodworking and metalworking in this creative way, it just really turned a part of my brain on that I hadn't found another way to turn on. And I've really, I loved it. And I was like, this is, this is exactly the thing that really stimulates my mind. Um, so it's kind of the thing I really stuck with. I think of it as like being creative, but then like using both half of your brain, you know, you have to do something in a creative way, but you have to do it very mathematically. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's exactly what it is. It's like creative architecture, but like not really creative, like engineering, which are like opposite words. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very true. It's, why it's, it's funny. Cause our dad's a scientist. And so people are like, Oh, you're artsy. I'm like, I don't really consider myself artsy because I mostly build things from the artsy people and I have to be artsy to figure it out and to paint but usually I'm more like a piece of plywood is four by eight <laughs> things falling yeah, categories yeah. yeah that's it's breaking all the creative stuff down into physical pieces it's neat yeah so how did you get involved with Portland Opera did like a position just open or had you met people had you met people like in Portland that kind of drew you there? Because opera can sometimes be so 
um, what's the word? Like niche, you know, like yeah, your group of people and it's kind of hard to break into it sometimes. So how did you get into that? I hate the word. I hate to use the word incestuous, but it almost feels like I. I was yeah, thinking I that. Her family says that all the time. She's like, opera is just a big incestuous family. Like everybody knows everybody. Everybody's worked together multiple times. Like right. Once you, you get in, that have done opera. You hire those people over the people that haven't done opera. Yeah, that tends to be the case, and so that's probably why they offered my job to somebody else first, but then gave it to me later. <laughs> <laughs> well, that guy didn't take it, so. <laughs> well, that's kind of what ended up happening, but. That mostly happened because he had more opera experience, but then it turned out that um, he turned out to be fairly, I don't want to say incompetent, mm-hmm. but did not survive long at his other position. Uh, so it ended up being that I ended up being the better choice, I think, in the end anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way I ended up leaving the musical theater company coming to the opera is that a position did open up. Um, the technical director position opened up at the same time the production carpenter position opened up. And so they were kind of like, oh, my God, we need to figure this out, like, right now. Yeah, we, right, we have, nobody. like, no backup to this plan. <laughs> yeah. And they were really in a situation because they were in the middle of their season when all that happened. Um, and I ended up being able to, like, I applied for the job because somebody told me about it. Somebody said, hey, you know, the Portland Opera's got a job opening. And at the time, I was fairly unhappy where I was. And so I took that as an opportunity to then um, to kind of step up my career a little bit, you know, take the next step because mm-hmm. it's a much larger company. Um, and I also provided the opportunity to Portland Opera to have somebody cover one of the upcoming shows while they're in the application process. So I did basically a working interview. I technical directed a show while they're interviewing people. Smart idea. Yeah. And so that kind of ended up helping them get to know me and see my process. And I think that helped in the end as well. Yeah. Plus then you've already done the show and you know people, so it's easier to hire you because they're like, well, you're doing pretty well and you're already here. So good. Yeah. Yeah. So it ended up being good. I'm very happy where I am. So it's a great place. Yeah. Do you find it? Very supportive company. Yes. But I, yeah, I absolutely felt the same way. At no point did I ever feel like I was just out there by myself. You know, yeah. sometimes right. sometimes that happens where you're just kind of like stuck and you feel like, yeah, that you don't have resources or you don't have people there to talk to or to help you out. And that was never the case. It was wonderful that you guys were there all the time. Actually, yeah. I was just having a conversation with another stage manager currently in Philadelphia with me. We were talking about uh, people on headsets during technical rehearsals and uh-huh. how at some companies like the production managers on headset and some companies are not and how it makes some stage managers super nervous to have like so many people listening on headset because they feel like they're checking in and I was like so I was thinking about like the last couple of shows I've done and I was like I never once got the feeling that you know you guys were there to check in on me I was like I kind of loved it because if anything ever went wrong you guys were right there all the time it didn't take me 15 minutes to go track down somebody, you know? I was like, I think it's wonderful that, that you guys were so there and so supportive. So it was it was an interesting conversation because the other stage manager hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, we don't ever really see it that way. We're never on headset, like, thinking, oh, let's see how well they do. Like, we're just there to be like, oh, my goodness, this thing is going wrong, and I can't leave the stage manager console. Okay, I, 
I will go run and take care of problems. Right. And there's so much happening all over the place. It's like we're there just to answer questions or help solve problems. Yeah. That's how I feel too when I'm around. Yeah. I'm usually just like, what can I do to help everybody else who's really running around and stressed out? And sometimes it's like, oh, you need a cup of tea? I can so get you a cup of tea and you can continue (laughs) lighting design because I don't need to be there to get a cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I I just thought it was it was wonderful and I'm very grateful that both you and Laura were were there and on headset and able to like you were so involved with the show and again yeah. just so supportive of the whole process. So it wasn't like, okay, here you go, tech the show and then, you know, disappear and then you can never find you. So really right. cool. Uh I wrote down the other question. Oh yeah. Do you think not being in opera your whole life, but starting somewhere else and then moving to the opera, have you found it advantageous? Like what I found advantageous, so it kind of comes from a, a personal thing. Stacey and I both started in theater and musical theater and I've moved to opera, uh-huh. but because I do a lot of like non-traditional operas, I've found that it kind of helps me think outside of the box. Cause I don't think like an opera stage manager, in my opinion, do you, do you find a similar thing? Like if you're presented with a problem, you feel like you can look at it in more ways than somebody who's like only ever done traditional opera. I don't know if it's the same thing for a, a TD. Yeah, actually, I think it might. I mean, initially it was definitely a disadvantage. Because you didn't know like the hierarchy and the all the little ins and outs? Correct. I didn't know the ins and outs. I didn't know like what a raker deck was. And I didn't know like some of the specific terminology the specific traditional ways that sets are done uh, mm. as well as, you know, I came from a company where we built every show and mm-hmm. now this industry is also like, at least for us, it's 50% rental. Yeah. Oh, opera is so like, we'll take this set that's been around for 20 years and just redo it. Yeah, absolutely. And I really like that learning that was kind of an interesting process. And initially it was kind of a difficult transition for me. Um, but I also think that I provided a lot of new perspective. Mm-hmm. I think I was like, well, why don't like, I would ask questions of like, well, we've always done this thing this way. And it's like, well, what if we do it this other way? <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, another, it's like, well, I guess we could do that. It would save us like, it would save us money and time. You're like, uh, <laughs> so we're not even talking about this anymore. Right. Like done deal. <laughs> oh, it's exactly what it was. Like it's a thing that we no longer do that we did for like 20 years prior. And it's like little things like that that I at least come in with a new perspective and like change change the you know the way we operate a little bit. Yeah, that's really so, cool. Yeah. So, how do you feel now about doing uh, rental sets? More comfortable with it? <laughs> definitely, definitely more comfortable with it. These shows <laughs> are so big; it's like we don't need to build them all. That's <laughs> like too much. <laughs> You're like, actually, let's do more rental sets. This is a little bit easier. Yeah, no, at least for the Keller stage. It's hard doing brand new sets all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, especially the show like Faust that came in. That's doing that and then doing um, a rental was really the way to do it. Trying to do all new shows is just too much to take on. And from all perspectives, all departments, really. Right. So, uh, these these... Thoughts are like half forming in my mind and then they disappear. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, oh, no. 
I know we have talked to TDs. I can't, I think you might be our, like one of our first opera TD. What for you is the difference in your position doing a, like a, a, when we talk about shows that are brand new versus shows that are rental. Sure. What do you have to do that's different with it? Like a new work or just. Yeah. Like, so if there's a show that comes to, to Bear Claw and is a brand new show that has just been designed and you have to figure out how to like build it versus we're getting this set from Minnesota. I feel like it's a completely different, like kind of different things you need to focus on and different areas or aspects that you have to focus on. Absolutely. Um, I think the major difference, you build a set new for your space. You know, it's going to fit your space. You know how it's going to fit your space because you designed it to work in your space. Yes. Mm -hmm. With a rental show, they were designed to fit somebody else's space. And come apart and, and go in trucks. And come apart and go into trucks. But the major thing is like, well, no, I have 20 feet less of depth and 20 feet more width that I have to cover. I'm just a totally different shape than the way the set was designed. And I have to try and, you know, the majority of my time is spent justifying that, trying to make that work without cutting scenery, without, you know having to build new pieces as much as possible trying mm -hmm. to make the set function in a space that it was not designed for. So that's, that's probably the biggest challenge of rental sets and the thing I work on the most. Um, that's what I'm doing right now with two, we have two rental shows this season that I'm working on right now, trying to be like, okay, well we can't, this doesn't work the way that it was designed. We have to cut some pieces or modify or change in some way. And so that's kind of one of the things I've been working on. So again, it's like a big puzzle. Yeah, it's a different kind of puzzle, you know. Yeah, I know that when I was working on that in Opera Santa Barbara, and we'd get big sets, and I'm like, okay, I think I got it to fit. And they're like, okay, where does the uh, punching bag fly in? Like, oh, dang it. It can't fly in where they want it to fly in, because there's something in the way there but it needs to be upstage of this current and i'm like i gotta move everything around by like five inches <laughs> exactly yeah something new comes up yeah or i want to fly in the chandelier but there's no i don't have five line sets clear to fly in a chandelier between exactly <laughs> those take up so much room like you can't just yeah. disappear they they're there blocking other line sets and lights and instruments and everything else Exactly. Yeah. But for Faust, it was... Faust was designed and built at the other place? Was built at Lyric? Was, but did they it have was, it in mind that they was coming to you guys? So did they kind of take into consideration your space as well as their space? Yes, it was designed for both. Okay. And so they, they, they had both sets of plans that it was designed to be built for. It was not... It was built in a shop uh, in Indianapolis, um, that like, we had a lot of conversation about like where it was going to be built and it was close to them and they were going to be producing the show first. So it made sense for it to be closer to them. Okay. Um, and also they have from the, for myself and Laura, they have like, you know, six staff people doing that work. So it made <laughs> sense to kind of take the lead on the project. Um, and so we kind of did that and then found the shop in Indianapolis after like going through a bidding process. Um, but the whole time, both theaters were taken into account. 
And so we knew like what the height differences were, what the width differences were. Uh, there was walls that were not used in Portland and they're designed to be removable. Um, All right, so there's six more that. feet, six more feet downstage or? Uh, four, like four feet left, four feet downstage. We had four feet less stage space than they did in Chicago. Right. Like within the set. Um, they have so much more course that they needed to fit. And we didn't really have the depth to account for that much more scenery. So, like, we made parts removable intentionally for us. Uh, That's we took cool. account for the width. We have a much wider house as well. So, like, we, sight lines had to take into that account for that as well. Hmm. Yeah. You guys' so proscenium was wider, but your stage wasn't as deep. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's just we're just a different shape. Um, they have significantly more depth, and their stage, their actual stage, is wider, but their proscenium is not. They're more space backstage to hide set pieces and actors. Exactly. Yeah, we got yeah. a little tight sometimes with some of our scene changes, but it worked. Yeah, no, it was definitely tight, especially the fly space was tight. Um, we had to cut some of, like, we had to use fewer ladders that flew in. Right. Because um, there just wasn't the fly space to account for those extra set pieces to fly in. We just didn't have that extra depth. We had about 20 feet less upstage. Oh, wow. That they did. Yeah. That's a lot. It's like half half a stage at least. It's a, it's a lot. I mean, they're, yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> they were able to create a much more distance upstage than we were able to create. But that's just the nature of the two spaces, and it worked well for both spaces. Yeah. So, what I think was a cool advantage being a co-production is that you guys actually got to go out to Chicago when they were teching it. Did you get to go both times for their pre-tech and their like right? Yep. What did they call it? Winter tech and then actual tech, or? Yeah, they do. They call it fall tech, winter tech, something like that. No, they do yeah. summer tech normally, but this I mean, time it was a winter tech. But normally they tech their shows, I think, in summer. But they right. tech all their shows in one time? They tech all their whole season at one time, like as a pre-tech. Like with no performers, it's just and no performers. Yeah. yeah, but you still have to do a different light plot and focus and get all the set in and all that, right? You do. No, they, they do all that. Damn. They install the whole set. They install the whole light plot. They write all the light cues. They write all the projection cues. Then they go away. And then we come back at the, you know, in time to tech it before opening. We do a full tech then as well. This is in Chicago, not in Portland. Um, they did a whole tech then as well. But at least we had a starting place. Mm -hmm. And particularly on found, it ended up being significantly different <laughs> than the pre <laughs> It was like, okay, we need to scrap all these ideas and bring in all these new ideas. What was the um, time difference between their pre-tech and their tech-tech? Uh, sorry, say that again? What was the time difference, like a couple weeks, a couple months, between oh, pre-tech and... So it was December versus March. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, I imagine almost any designer, after they've been sitting on it for a couple months, has a whole new list of ideas to go through. Yeah, and I, the main problem was that initially the all their ideas just didn't. There was too much. There was way too much content and didn't quite work. 
So when we came back to it, it's like, wait, this thing that we thought was really cool in December doesn't make any sense to us now. We have no idea why we chose to do this. And so we got to scrap it all and start again. You guys tell a story where like every night after tech, Vita and, and David and John would go back to the hotel and spend like another six hours, like redoing all yeah. the video cues and then showing up the next day with like all new video cues. That was during the, the tech in March, the later tech. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially wow. they're just all this content. We don't think it works anymore. And we need to create new content. But we don't have any more. Like, we don't have time. Like, we're opening in a week. So we got to do it now. So they, they go home at night and work for hours. Well, we talked to uh, David uh, not long ago. And, yeah, I don't think he sleeps much. <laughs> that guy's always working. So then when it... So it performed there. And then it moved to you guys. How much changed in content and all that? I know you had to move some walls around and and... I think you guys had different actors, right? But what else changed, like, design-wise? There was actually, there was anticipation that a lot was going to change. And we actually ended up keeping it pretty true to what happened with Chicago. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, It was actually, it ended up being a very, very similar product. Um, Just a little more fine-tuned, I would say. Mm -hmm. Like, the timing was a little more fine-tuned. The projection content was more fine-tuned. and like they made slight tweaks, but there really was were not significant tweaks at all from Chicago's final product to what we ended up with. Which I think is pretty awesome. Yeah, I think that was great. I mean, I think that's certainly for us, that was a much better way for us to do it. <laughs> <laughs> much easier yeah, on your side. Like, great, you guys figured out all the problems and now we we get the final products. That's great. <laughs> yeah, but you still had all the designers in case they wanted to change anything. Oh, we had everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And we expected that there were going to be more changes than there were, but everybody was pretty happy with the product. So, Excellent. That's always yeah. good to hear. Yeah. I think that might have been what made it so fun to call in a sense is because like I had the calling score the day I showed up. So mm-hmm. I already knew like where lights were going, where spotlights were going, where, where uh, projection cues were going. And we altered it, like tweaked it a little bit. But through the entire rehearsal process, I already had, you know, I was calling it in my head from day one of staging. So it was, I felt like I was able to fine tune it even more based on like the other stage manager's work. So it was super awesome. Very no, appreciative of, of that stage manager. And same with all of our set paperwork, like things came to us and we already knew like what the scene changes looked like and what our costume changes looked like. Yeah, it was definitely a lot better because we, we were given all that information uh initially and we didn't have to recreate from scratch like they did yeah but also the fact that like you and laura and christine who did costumes is it only you three that got to go out there it was uh well chris went out at one point but wasn't there for the whole process like the three of us were for essentially the the whole yeah so you actually were there and saw a show which never happens when you do a traditional rental of a set you get stuff, but you didn't actually get to see it and experience it in person. So the fact that you kind of knew what the scene changes already look like and what the costumes look like also made it so much easier on our end. Oh, absolutely. As well as on the end of loading, that made that process significantly easier. Right. Yeah, I don't know how many times I've gotten rental sets and I get like three or four fuzzy pictures from a Google Drive or whatever, and then I get the set. 
And I'm like, well, these walls are kind of this color. Put them in that pile. There's a screw hole here. It might line up with this screw hole over here. And then we just start whittling down until we get to a couple pieces. And I'm like, I have no idea what these are. <laughs> Put them in the shop. Yeah. We'll ignore them. <laughs> exactly. How, so when you were out there, were you out there for like a day or two? Were you out there for the entire, however long their pre-tech is and their normal tech? Or uh, Well, that was a little crazy, actually. Um, it was essentially that I was there for the entire pre-tech. And then I went back out for the final tech. And, but I had, <laughs> let's see. So we had a rent we had a rental show on the road while the real tech was happening. One that I had to go and set up. Mm. So I actually flew from Portland to Palm Beach. Then I flew from Palm Beach to Chicago for pre-tech or for final tech. And then I flew back to Palm Beach to load out the show uh, <laughs> that we had in Palm Beach at that time. So it was kind of a crazy couple of weeks of time where I was flying all over the place with our shows. Um, yeah, it was just kind of nuts. What show did you have in Palm Beach? Candide. <laughs> so to talk about incestuous. Exactly. It's like three We've... podcasts in a row and they've all come back to Candide in Palm Beach. <laughs> well, Palm Beach. Yeah. Well, because David Adam Moore right. sang uh, Counts in Palm Beach during that same season. And we just talked to Tim Chung, who's a the head of the Young Artist Program down in, in Palm Beach. And then Brett Finley, who's a, a good friend of mine, stage manager, uh, was a stage manager down in Palm Beach. Which is oh, nice. where Cindy yeah, no, went nice. at one point and first met David, but didn't meet David. Yeah, yeah. see? Okay. All of you guys. You guys need to branch out a little more. Right <laughs> <laughs> now, everyone's doing candy this year. Everybody else did it. <laughs> oh my God, everybody's doing candy. Well, I did it, it two years ago. Birthday or something, right? Yeah, uh, that would make 100th sense. 100th birthday. Yeah, but I didn't know that was your guys' set. That's awesome. Yeah, it was also in Arizona, actually. Your set was after that? Before that. So our set went from Portland to Arizona, and then Arizona straight to Palm Beach. Wow. So it had a year. That's pretty cool. <laughs> How beat so up TV, is it after you... that? Do you often go on the road with your sets, or do you have other people in the company that go out? I like, do you have uh, Brian? I don't always have to go out with the sets. Um, kind of depends on the schedule. The production carpenter position is the one designed to go out with the sets. But that position has been kind of like changing, <laughs> changing hands mm. frequently than ideal lately. And so I... I'm around more regularly, so if I know the show, I can actually go out with the show, and I'll go do it if there's time. Mm -hmm. That doesn't always work. Like, during Faust, we had Sweeney Todd on the road. Mm -hmm. There to do it, so I had my old production carpenter who did it actually go out there and set it up. But usually it's one of those two positions. That makes sense. When I did rentals at Tri-Cities, I would send my carpenter out. But he kind of hated it because he, like, really hates traveling more than 20 minutes away from home. So he would, like, grudgingly do it. And I was like, dude, you're the only person I have that knows this set that can take it out on the road that I trust. 
Yeah. Like, well, does it have to be so far away? I'm like, we're in the middle of nowhere. Yes, it has to be far away. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that that is always the challenge. I mean, finding somebody that actually knows the show. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have anybody that knew Candide. So I basically had to learn Candide in order to do the show. Um, I didn't know it beforehand. So did you actually like take it out in the shop and put it together? Or what did uh, you do to learn I, it? No, I studied the drawings and I pulled out all the pieces and like, kind of spread them out so I could see them all. Yeah. It's the way that we treat a rental set as well. Um, that if we get a rental, we'll just kind of set it up in the shop as much as we can within our shop and kind of look at it. Huh. And then from there we will uh, kind of extrapolate from the information of like, okay, well, this clearly is this piece and it looks like it goes together this way. See, that's great that you do that and don't just leave it to the poor people on the other end to figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> I don't, Thank you. Uh, no offense to the people on the other end, but I don't trust them. <laughs> yeah. No, no I, I wouldn't trust me either with, a, with the truckload of set and just a couple pictures that I had to pull offline. It makes it a very yeah. stressful day. Exactly. That's two days. Really, yeah. It's a tough, tough thing. But yeah, no, we we try to give as much information and send as knowledgeable persons we can find, and I make sure that I know what I'm talking about when I'm there to set it up. So much appreciated. Yeah. One day I'll be like, "Ooh, I'm getting a set from Bearclaw." Yes, it's going to be so simple. <laughs> like I have well, all the information. I'm not saying they're simple to put together. I'm just saying I can I have, have knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, that's that's still better than sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We certainly have some sets that are not easy to put together. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. But at yeah. least if you know that you have all the pieces there, and you know roughly what configuration they go in, It's much certainly easier. a good place to start. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I can Was... usually tell by how much, how much the other TD asks me questions on how difficult of a process it's going to be. So if they ask more or less questions, what does that tell you? If they ask more questions, that tells me it's going to be a better process. Because nice. they're thinking about it. They're actually thinking about it. They're thinking about, oh, well, what do you use for this? What do I need here? You know, I think that they've actually looked at the information if they come with me with knowledgeable questions. Okay, right. good. So if I feel pretty good. Thing leading to load in, I'm like, this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. I'm usually one of those people who, like, pour over the drawings and study them, study them, and try to draw them in my space and figure out what goes there and pull as many pictures. And I'm on the phone being like, okay, this looks like this and this looks like this, but I don't see this drawing anywhere. But when I Google your theater, then I see a picture of it, but I don't see drawings for it. Is it coming? Yeah. And they're always like, I'm not sure. And I'm like, nope, wrong answer. <laughs> playing that game right now with one of our upcoming shows. I'm like, so what's coming with this one? I see platforming in the picture, but there's none on the drawing. And yeah, it's like, no, not include platforming, but you can build your own if you want to. Yeah. Like, okay, great. <laughs> we had a set that did that, and half the set was a platform that the band was on. And they're like, oh, it doesn't come with the platform. I'm like, but the show is designed with a platform. Why would you not send me a platform? Or tell right. me you're not sending me the platform, because now I have to spend an extra day building a platform. Exactly. Yeah, the joys. See, twenty. You don't have to worry about that. You just worry about actors. Well, not just, but I know. I just worry about the people on stage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So in musical theater, you though, you never actually had to deal with that, right? You built all your own sets yourself. So. Yeah, yeah. No, the last company I was at was, I mean, we would occasionally rent a set, but they were much smaller and much simpler. Um, and I feel like it's a new thing to rent. We pretty much always got them from the same one or two companies. There really aren't many out there that rent them. Yeah, there's only like one or two companies in the Southern California area that have them. Otherwise, I'd have to ship it across country. And then it would cost so much just to ship a set across country. We might as well build it. Yeah, so we exactly. were just very we limited on well, sets. That's where most of ours came from. From where? Southern California. From Southern California. Huh, that's so funny. Yeah, and yeah. then you got to truck it all the way out there. Yeah. Yeah, way too expensive. And then you try to do a straight play, and they just no sets exist at all for straight plays. Every time uh, Bear Claw goes dark, a picture of a puppy pops up with his tongue sticking out. It's excellent. Oh, do I keep going? Sorry, I didn't realize I keep going dark. Oh, only very briefly. But then I get to see a picture of a puppy with his tongue hanging out. Yeah, that's, that's, my photo is my dog. Yeah. I think it's on your Instagram, too, when I was checking that one out. Yep, yep, it probably is. Same dog. So we What's have, his name? Uh, I think we're getting close to an hour, and we have, like, one more question. Do you have any twin stories? Did you ever, like, grow up with twins or work with twins or get twins confused? Oh, interesting question. I really don't have much experience with twins really at all. Like, I have a few friends that are twins. Um, but, like, in a situation where I only know one of the twins. But never... Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. So I really don't have, like... I have nothing there. Like, I didn't really know any growing up in, like, elementary school. And it's been kind of, I don't really have anything exciting to answer that question with, unfortunately. <laughs> no, <laughs> I it's I fine. a great story, but I don't. It's funny because some people have like tons of experience with twins and some people are like, nope, I don't know any. Yeah, if yeah, Cindy yeah. and I were asked that question, we don't have much experience with twins either. Besides ourselves. You have more than most people. Yeah, well, right. being born into it. But otherwise, like, we don't come across many twins. We didn't grow up with twins. We didn't have twins in the family. I mean, I do now because my husband's family has twins. But <laughs> but you said that you you knew you have some friends that are twins, uh, but you only know one side. Uh, how long, if you remember, did you know that person before you learned that they were a twin? Um, probably a few months. Yeah, because some people are like, oh, I didn't know you were a twin. And we're like, well, it, it's not just like coming up in conversations all the tw time if you're a twin or not. Right, right. No, it's not. It's not. You don't necessarily know. There's probably people that I know that are twins and I don't realize. Yeah. Right. They're hiding yeah, that's, in that's secret. also happens. <laughs> I feel exactly. like you just start conversations like that. Hi, yeah. my name's Cindy. I have a twin. Yeah. Okay, let's go from there. I think that's the way to go. <laughs> I'm going to try that next time I meet somebody. <laughs> yeah, when, when you go to your next job, just walk around saying that constantly. See what happens. I will. Yeah. By the way, we have a podcast. You should listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> Advertising right there. There we go. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Bearclaw. I'm so glad yeah, that we finally got finally got to get together about this but yeah me too it's great i'm glad we were able to make this work yeah awesome well thank you so much i hope we get to catch up again soon absolutely thank you yeah. very much trying to get twin back out there so we can come up and visit again although we'll i do. think it took us longer to drive up there than it would have for me to just fly out to new york 
that could be true. Yeah, <laughs> not not a whole lot to see between Southern California and Portland. Not in the short route. If you take the long route, there's a lot to see, like your Oyas and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but, we were trying to just get up there and then get home. Up the hour shoot trip. Yep. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at Twinstalk Theater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of incomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.